Hey, this is Glover Teixeira, UFC Light Heavyweight Champion. Hi, I'm Robbie Lawler. What's up, Fight Family? This is your favorite MMA coach, Tiago Alves, the Pitbull. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Pedro Munoz. This is Mike Brown. Hey, I'm Alexei Alenik. And welcome. And welcome. And welcome. And welcome. And this is We Want One Picks. And you're watching We Want Picks. To We Want Picks. We Want Picks. To We Want Picks. To We Want Picks. Hi, everybody from America. My name's Angelo, and welcome to We Want Picks. I'm going to break down the entire UFC Vegas 52 fight card. I'm going to give you my bets. I'm going to give you my predictions, and I'm going to give you everything you need to know to make some money. And speaking of money, if you want 50 free, free dollars, go to wewantpicks.com slash bets. We have five different betting partners. Click on any one of those five links, make a deposit, and we send you $50 as a thank you for supporting us and our partners. That's wewantpicks.com slash bets. And this breakdown is brought to you by Earn You. Earn You is the world's first sports and esports prediction game, allowing you to earn crypto risk-free. Check it out now at earnyou.io. And we have a very interesting fight card. It's not the greatest card on paper, but I promise you there's some really fun matchups in here. And this could be an exciting night of fights. Opening up the card is one of the more bizarre fights. We've got Dean Barry with only five professional MMA fights taking on Mike Jackson, who actually has two professional MMA fights, but zero wins. Opening up a UFC fight night card, but let's break it down. Dean Barry is an Irish prospect that was actually signed to the UFC in late 2020, but he had visa issues and life got in the way, which pushed his debut out to this weekend. He's a good kickboxer with plenty of combat sports experience, even though he only has five professional MMA fights. He keeps his hands low in a karate style, but he will march you down and throw big one-twos. He has fantastic sidekicks, which he uses to enter exchanges or to keep you at range. He has surprising amount of power considering he's undersized for the welterweight division, and he's been very vocal about wanting to move to lightweight. His takedown defense isn't the best, but he does have great submission defense and can work his way back to his feet pretty now, pretty now, pretty well. Mike Jackson only has two MMA fights, but he's an experienced kickboxer who can hang with some of the better strikers in the division. He's a long rangey guy who has an upright stance and uses his range to walk you down and keep you at the edge of his punches. He's a bit of a slow starter, but as soon as he figures out your timing, he's incredibly slick and well composed. He's listed at 0 and 1, but he's technically 1 and 1. He was taken down and submitted by Mickey Gall in 2016, but he bounced back in 2018 when he beat CM Punk. 2018 was before weed was legal, so that win was overturned, which is why he's 0-1-1 officially. And this is a weird fight, and with possibly the dumbest odds I've ever seen in my entire life. Dean Barry only has five professional fights, and he's a striker. And somehow, he is a minus 1,000 favorite. Those are Ronda Rousey versus old lady on the street numbers from back in the day. Minus 1,000 favorite is absolutely absurd, especially because this is a striker versus striker matchup. It's not as if Dean Barry is an Olympic wrestler and he's fighting a striker. It, it, those odds absolutely blow my mind. If Dean Barry was a nasty wrestler, I'd get it because even CM Punk was able to take down Mike Jackson. But this is striker versus striker. Neither guy has a ton of MMA experience. I do think Barry wins because he has solid power. He's solid pressure. 
But let's be real. He is undersized for this division. And his last opponent was 6-30. and 6-30. That was Dean Barry's last opponent. So don't just go looking at topology and say, oh, Dean Barry's beating people by knockout. Yeah, when they're 6-30. and 30. And he is hittable. So 0% chance I do anything with Dean Barry as far as betting is concerned. I do think he wins this fight, though. I do think he's dangerous. Mike Jackson hasn't fought in a few years. But at plus 800 odds, I might throw a few dollars on him just to see what happens. But Dean Barry is definitely the pick. I do not recommend putting money on him. I would not make him a parlay piece. Those odds are just too ridiculous. It's not going to help you in any way whatsoever. Then we've got Marcin Prochniow taking on Felipe Linz. Marcin Prochniow is a big-time prospect. He came into the UFC undefeated, but then he dropped three fights in a row by first-round knockout. He seems to have put things together since then, and he's gone back to his traditional martial arts roots. He has over 400 combat karate wins and an insanely long list of accomplishments. His MMA style, though, is more of a technical brawler. He has no problem getting into a firefight, but the issue is his chin doesn't like that. He does get put out, and that style doesn't favor his chin. He does have incredible power, though but he can be KO or bust. Felipe Linz is a heavyweight. He's making his light heavyweight debut in this fight. He's got legit power in his hands and he had legit power as heavyweight. So I can't imagine if he's able to take that power down with him to this division, what he'll look like and what he can do there. He does have a BJJ black belt, but he prefers to hang out inside the pocket and trade or just walk you down with those big heavy hands. And it's another interesting matchup because Prochniow is a talented guy that has had some chin issues in the past, but he has an entire set of skills we haven't seen him use yet. Felipe Lins is a heavy-handed striker with very good grappling in his back pocket. The bookies have Prochniow as a minus 150 favorite, and it's probably because he's coming off a beautiful knockout over Ike Villanueva, but that was honestly a pretty close fight, and he was taken down before the eventual KO. Linz is 0-2 in the UFC, but he lost a decision to Andre Olofsky, and he was clubbed by Tanner Bozer. But Tanner Bozer has proven to be a solid heavyweight, so I actually like Felipe Linz to win this fight, but I'm going to be watching the scales closely. Linz wasn't the biggest heavyweight on the roster, but he is a thick guy, and I want to make sure that he looks good at 205 and he's not too sucked out. And if he does look good, I will be picking him to win for sure. And probably throwing a bet on him. But if he looks sucked out, like he shouldn't be at light light heavyweight, then obviously I'm going to go ahead and fade him. That takes us to Kyori Lang taking on Cameron Elsay. Kyori Lang's a well-rounded guy with incredible pressure and pace. He can fight a technical fight or brawl to the bell. He uses his striking to set up takedowns. And he was able to take down Jeff Molina three times in that fight. But he was also taken down five times by Cody Durden in a fight where he was winning the striking exchanges. He has solid footwork, solid movement, and a pretty sturdy chin. Cameron Elsay lost to Kyler Phillips in his UFC debut about a year and a half ago, but that was a short notice fight, and he was full quarantined for a good amount of that fight camp. He's a solid striker with very real power. He has all stoppage wins, and it's a mixed bag between submissions and knockouts. He's fun to watch because he's looking for knockouts on his feet and submissions on the ground, but if he can't find the finish, he does fall behind because he doesn't set himself up to win the minutes, meaning he'll chase a knockout and he'll end up getting taken down or he'll chase a submission and he'll lose a position. So Cameron Elsay is a very talented guy with very well-rounded skill set, but he needs a touch more discipline. 
And this should be a really fun fight with two guys looking for their first UFC win. The odds makers love Key Lang as almost a three to one favorite, but I do think there's a lot of recency bias there based off Cameron's loss with Kyler Phillips. But if you factor in the short notice, you factor in the quarantine. I mean, this is back at late 2020 where a lot of these international fighters didn't really have the freedom to train the way that they wanted to. I think if you factor that stuff in, it's a much closer fight. Keelang's the more technical striker, but Elsay has very real power. Keelang is a better takedowns, but Elsay is definitely the submission threat. So this is one of those fights where one guy's the better fighter, but the other guy's the more dangerous fighter. I think this is razor thin. I'm leaning Elsay here, but he is coming off a long layoff that does have me worried. And this is another fight, the second fight in a row, where I will be watching the scales closely to see what he looks like. And there's a lot of fights on this card where people are coming off of one, two, and even a three-year layoff. So I'm going to keep a close eye at weigh-ins more so than I do for a normal event. Then we got Tyson Pedro taking on Ike Villanueva. Tyson Pedro's probably not a name you're familiar with because he hasn't fought since 2018. But he does have six fights in the UFC with wins over Paul Craig and Khalil Roundtree. Tyson's a pretty well-rounded pretty well-rounded guy, but he's more of a grappler than anything. He doesn't have the best takedowns, but he has no problem charging forward to get one. If you overcommit to your strikes, he will drop down, double-leg you, and then work through that. Once he hits the ground, he's looking to strike more than submit, but if you scramble or try to work your way out, he will snatch something up. Ike Villanueva has a terrible record, but he's also very tough and he never quits. He's sort of a throwback to the old days of the UFC when nobody cared about their records and they would fight anybody, anywhere, at any weight class. And he has wins and losses in multiple weight class, but he seems to have settled into light heavyweight here. Styles-wise, he likes to march forward and slug it out. He has speed and power, and he does a great job putting together combinations. You'll never see him just throw one punch at a time or leave a lazy jab out there. So to sum up Ike Villanueva, he's a solid boxer with tons of heart and zero leg kick defense. You could almost call this striker versus grappler matchup with Tyson being the grappler and Villanueva being the striker. Villanueva is listed as having a 100% takedown defense, but if you dig into his fights, he has literally only been shot on one single time in the UFC, and that was a half-ass attempt from Negan Moreno in his last fight. I do think Tyson can get the takedowns and therefore get the win, but if he can't, it's going to be a long 15 minutes of him just getting lit up in the face because despite his age and his record, Villanueva has clean boxing, and if you come at him straight, you will be hit. So Tyson's the pick, but I think these odds are crazy. He's almost a 500 favorite, and this is another fight where I'm going to be watching the scales because we're talking a multiple-year layoff here for Tyson, and I just want to see what they look like. I love to watch the scales with these guys that are moving weight classes or they've been out of the game for a little bit. So I'm going to watch this one closely. Stay tuned. We break down fights every single week, and then we do our final picks on the weekend. We do a pre-fight live. Definitely check that out because this might be a fight where I switch my pick literally based off the weigh-ins. Then we got some strikers here. We got Dwight Grant taking on Sergey. Kanjko. Listen, guys, I'm working on the Russian names. When you have that many consonants and like one vowel, it's not easy. You people always come in the comment section saying, be professional, learn the names. Listen, this isn't be professional. This is a podcast. This isn't an ESPN 30 for 30. If I announce a name wrong, deal with it, move on, enjoy the free content. And I would love to hear you guys send me voice recordings of you pronouncing every single one of these names every week. 
Anyway, Dwight Grant taking on Sergey the Russian. Dwight Grant is a very tall and long guy. He has really clean striking, and he uses his range well. He's got a ton of power, solid takedown defense, but he does have questionable cardio. He has two losses in the UFC, and they are against Trinaldo, which was a split decision, and that came down to control time. And in his fight against Daniel Rodriguez, he was knocked out pretty bad. But if you watch it, he was winning up until that point. And he should have gotten his own KO, but he blew his wad and then he was stopped. Sergey's a creative striker with great speed, power, and combinations. He has excellent counter striking while maintaining forward pressure. He can march forward throwing bombs from his hips or fight a technical kickboxing match. I love his pressure, his pace, and his ability to snatch up a submission and a scramble. And this should be a really fun fight, and this is an excellent matchmaking. We have both of these guys are fun strikers with very real power. Both of them have positive striking differentials and are very comfortable slugging it out. I think Grant has more power, but Sergey has better counter-striking. Grant definitely has the better takedowns, but Sergey is probably the better grappler. And this is a fantastic fight and such a hard pick. My head is telling me to pick Grant for the experience and the speed, but my gut is saying to pick Sari because of his incredible pressure and his willingness to chase a stoppage. I got to go with Grant here, but if his cardio slips up even a little bit, Sergey's pressure is going to steal rounds, and it's another fight. Sergey's coming off of a two-year layoff. Every single one of these fights, somebody's coming off a long layoff. In this case, it is Sergey. Another one, watch the weigh-ins. This is probably the most important weigh-in of the year based off of people's weight class changes and lack of activity. But for now, Dwight Grant is the pick. And that takes us to the always exciting Jordan Wright taking on Marc-Andre Barrault. Marc-Andre is stepping up on somewhat short notice in this fight. And Jordan Wright's a rangy karate-style striker with a 100% finish rate. And that finish rate is on both sides of his record. So he's never been to a scorecard before. He's got big power, and he's obviously looking for a finish. His in-and-out karate-style works really well for him when he strikes both the entries and the exits. So he hops in with that karate style. He's hitting you on the way in, and he's hitting you on the way out. And he doesn't have much of a wrestling offense, but he is tricky on the ground and in scrambles. He's coming off a KO loss to Bruno Silva, where it is clear that even though Jordan Wright is dangerous, there are levels to power in MMA. Marc-Andre Barral is a pretty well-rounded fighter with solid kickboxing and takedowns. His jiu-jitsu is solid, but his takedowns can use some work. Marc-Andre is typically looking to pressure forward and wear you down on your feet. He's coming off of a really bad knockout to Chidi Injikawani, which may not have fully recovered from yet. And this is another example of great matchmaking. Two fun strikers who will go at it and chase a win. Very simply, I think Jordan Wright is the more dangerous guy, but Marc-Andre is the better fighter. I don't think Marc-Andre has fully recovered from that loss to Chidi, and I'm actually surprised he's not still suspended. So... This should have been a 90-day suspension from the commission, and he is not 90 days removed from that stoppage. So he either reached out to the commission and they lifted the suspension because he was cleared by a doctor, or I'll have to look it up. Maybe it was only a 30-day suspension, but typically a KO or TKO is a 90-day suspension, which we have not passed that window yet. And either way, this is a short-notice fight. We know how dangerous Jordan can be. And with that being said, Jordan Wright has the most ridiculous striking differential I have ever seen. The guy lands more than eight significant strikes per minute, and he is hit with more than eight significant strikes per minute. That's a, Those are ridiculous numbers. Ridiculous numbers. I'm leaning right here, but if this fight is definitely 
closer to a coin flip and this is not my most confident pick, but I do like Jordan right here and I've been around MMA a long time. I've managed fighters for a long time and less than a 90 day turnaround after getting stopped the way he did in his last fight. That is not a good thing. And his brains might still be a little scrambled from that fight. So Jordan Wright is the pick. And that takes us to Luis Cose taking on Preston Parsons. Luis Cose is a dangerous striker with real power in his hands. He has a bully pressure style with heavy punches and solid work on top if he ends up there. He's not the most technical striker, but he does make up for it with power and pressure. He's coming off a loss to Sasha Politnikov, but he was dominating that fight and he was seconds away from getting a stoppage win before he slowed down big. He took some heavy shots himself and then he essentially blew his wad chasing a stoppage and then he himself got stopped. Preston Parsons is coming off a short notice loss in his UFC debut. He's a very slick grappler who has a 100% submission finish rate. Every single win he has won by submission. He's a BJJ black belt who moves forward aggressively throwing big shots to set up his takedowns. He's coming off a KO loss, but he does have a pretty solid chin outside of that. This is definitely a striker versus grappler matchup. I normally favor the grapplers in these matchups because they can control where the fight actually goes. They can keep it on their feet if they want to. They can take it to the ground if they want to. But I do like Luis to get this done. I don't think Preston has good enough takedowns to constantly be threatened Luis's power. And I think that is going to be an issue. If you're not threatening the takedowns, then Kose can settle in, let his hands go, and he does have very real power. So I like Kose to win a sprawl and brawl matchup here. He is Orion Kose's brother, if you thought that name sounded familiar. Charles Jordan, the always exciting Charles Air Jordan, taking on Lando Venata. Charles Jordan, he's a fun, come-forward striker with a great chin. He's incredibly fast, has great timing, and is willing to take chances with spinning and flying attacks. He's coming off his very first decision win of his career in an awesome fight with Andre Uhl. If you didn't watch that fight, just go back. The only thing you need to see is the last 30 seconds. It will tell you everything you need to know about Andre Uhl. He was just marching forward, throwing bombs, and just screaming as loud as he could. He was supposed to fight Ilya Tapori in January. And honestly, thankfully for him, he didn't have to do that. And that fight was canceled. Lando Venata is coming off his successful featherweight debut in a win against Mike Grundy, where even though he was taken down three times, he was able to almost triple the strikes. Lando's a flashy striker with crazy kicks and spinning attacks. He comes out fast and is absolutely not a slow starter. His takedown defense is just okay. And even though this is a striker versus striker matchup, he might need the takedown defense. On paper, this card is not very good, but there are a few fights like this one that will make it an awesome, fun night of fights. Both of these guys are fun and flashy strikers who will put it all out there to chase a finish. If this stays standing, I think they're pretty evenly matched, but Jordan's volume could probably be the difference. But both guys get hit with almost five significant strikes per minute, and that's well above the three-something UFC average. They have solid chins, so they should be able to slug it out for a while. I actually think the difference here will be the grappling of Venata. He doesn't have a ton of takedowns, but if he threatens with them, he can have some success. He has taken down Bobby Green five times. He fought Bobby Green twice, and he has five total takedowns against Bobby Green at lightweight. And I think his pressure, the size difference, his strength at 145 pounds could be an issue for Jordan. So very slight lean to Lando Venata in this fight, but Jordan is just such a gamer. It's hard to pick against him, but I did. Lando Venata is the pick. 
Then we have Sue Murderji versus Manel Cop. Sue Muderji is a fast striker with laser pinpoint accuracy and solid volume. He doesn't have much power, but because he is so fast and his movement is so well-timed, he can get stoppages. He has plenty of cardio, a great in and out style, and he can out-decision most people who aren't looking to take him down. Manel Kopp is a fast and explosive striker who has no issues chasing knockouts. He's a southpaw with good pressure, and he bounces in and out of range really well. He's a decent wrestler when he needs to be, and he closes distance really well when he wants to. He's very fun to watch, but at times, he's having too much fun, and he can make some low fight IQ mistakes. This is a fun striker versus striker matchup with two guys who fight very differently. Sue is looking to fight a fast technical kickboxing match where Manel is looking to walk you down and use his explosiveness. Both guys have solid takedown defense, but I don't think it's going to matter in this fight. If we look at the stats, Muderji has a two to one striking differential where he is landing twice as many significant strikes as his opponents where Manel cop has the same output, but a one-for-one one striking differential. For every strike he lands, he is hit right back in the face with one. And I think Manerji is the more technical striker, but Manel is definitely the more dangerous one. I'm going to go with Manerji here, but his year layoff has me a little bit worried, and I will be biting my nails the entire time. Manel Cop has proven to have power and be dangerous, but I think Manerji can dance around for 15 minutes, touch and go. Watch his fights. I have, I mean, laser straight punches right up the middle. Super fast, super accurate. Then we've got a battle of the contenders. Macy Barber taking on Montana De La Rosa. Macy Barber's a good striker with great boxing and improved wrestling. She's not a grappler in style, but she does have well-timed takedowns when she needs them. She's very tough physically, but she can break mentally in fights. She's coming off a win against Miranda Maverick last summer, but that was a bad decision, and she should be on a three-fight skid. Montana De La Rosa is a tough wrestler with a very straightforward game plan. Her wrestling is real, and it's not just MMA wrestle. She wrestled most of her life, and you can see that in the grappling exchanges. She moved her training camp to elevation a little while ago, and you can see those improvements in her striking. If you look at the Ariana Lipsky fight, she doubled her strikes and put her away in the second round. And this is a really tough fight to call because Macy Barber was a legit prospect who hit a skid. The loss to Montefiore was a really bad look at the time, and she did not handle it well. And then she came right back, and she lost to Alexa Grasso, where she actually landed more strikes and had three takedowns in that fight. Her last fight was a win against Maraverick, but like I mentioned, that was a bad decision. Macy Barber is talented, though. She's got really good striking, improved wrestling, and if she keeps the pressure on, she can win these close fights. Montana De La Rosa was pretty much a pure wrestler, a pure grappler until she moved to elevation and she worked on her hands. But the question is, how much have her hands improved? Have they improved enough to hang on her feet with Macy? Can they give Macy some trouble and then she could work in some takedowns? And the problem is, I don't know. And that's what makes this such a tough pick. I'm normally a simp for wrestlers, but this one does have me worried. I I'm going to go Macy here, but zero bet whatsoever. There will be no money coming out of my pocket on this fight because Montana could come out here and just absolutely dominate with the grappling. Macy could defend some takedowns and just dominate with the striking. I think there's too many unknowns. Both of these women are pretty early in their careers. They're both prospects. You know, my and my gut, even as I'm saying this, I want to pick Montana. I'm going to let it sit. We'll let it percolate. Join our Tuesday night 
full card live breakdown. We'll see how I feel then. But right now, it's Macy Barber to defend some of the takedowns and hang in the striking department. Then we got Tanner Bozer taking on Alexander Romanov. Tanner Bozer is a fun heavyweight striker with solid hands and very real power. He's athletic for the division, but he's a smaller heavyweight that can be bullied. He's coming off a very nice win over Ovin's St. Prue, where he tripled the strikes and knocked him out. That was definitely his best win in the UFC so far, but even his losses hold up pretty well. He lost a grappling decision to Ilir Latifi and kickboxing matches to Andrei Olovsky and Cyril Gan. Alexander Romanov is a fantastic high caliber wrestler. He's a massive human being with incredible speed and power that he uses to take you down and pound you out. His nickname is King Kong, but I said this last time I broke him down. You could call him Brock because he honestly fights and looks like Brock Lesnar. He just comes charging forward, crazy power, huge athletic abilities. He's just fast and massive and strong. And he's just like stopping a moving train when he decides to shoot a takedown. He's coming off a pretty dominant win over Jared Vandera. But his fight before that was a controversial decision over fellow wrestler Juan Espino where Romanov's holes were exposed. Go back and watch that fight and you'll see that Romanov might not be the unstoppable force that everybody thinks he is. I think Tanner Bozer is the much better than the odds have him right now. Right now, he's a 5-1 to one underdog, and while I think he is fast, athletic, he's got very real power, styles do make fights, and if Elir Latifi can grind out a grappling win, then Alexander Romanov certainly can as well. I like Romanov to do what he does, but I also am probably going to place a bet on Tanner Bozer. I think I'm going to do a win-inside-the-distance decision-no-action bet. What that means is if Tanner Bozer somehow wins inside the distance, let's say he somehow knocks out Alexander Romanov, he gets exhausted, cracks him. I mean, Tanner Bozer's got power. Then I'll get paid. I will make money on that fight. But if Alexander Romanov just takes Tanner Bozer down, holds him down, rides him out, dominant grappling win, I'll get a refund. I get my money back. The bet never happened. Tanner Bozer's super durable. He didn't get put away by some of the best guys in the division. I don't know if Romanov's going to be able to put him away. And if he can't, I'll get a refund. And if Tanner Bozer somehow pulls off a stoppage, I'll get paid. WeWantPicks.com slash bets. We have five partners. BetOnline is the only partner that offers that bet, that safety net win inside the distance decision, no action bet. Jump in there, use our link, make a deposit, and I'll send you 50 bucks as a thank you. So Romanov is the pick, but Tanner Bozer is much better than everybody's giving him credit for. And then we've got 40-year-old Clay Guida taking on Quadio Puelas. Clay Guida is a legend, but he is officially over 40 years old in this fight. He's definitely starting to slow down, but even a slow Clay Guida is still a very high-paced guy with great cardio, relentless wrestling, and solid striking. He makes up for some technical gaps with speed, volume, and pace. He's coming off an insane come-from-behind win over Leandro Santos. He was completely outstruck. He was almost finished, and then he somehow weathered that storm, got his own submission, and he just cemented himself as one of the most exciting guys to ever fight in the UFC. Claudio Puelas is a fantastic grappler coming off a knee bar win over Chris Grutzmacher. Before that, he had a decision win over Jordan Levitt after a two-year layoff. He's only 26 years old, but he does have a good amount of experience. He's a grappler who kicks to keep the distance, and he's never out of a fight. We saw that against Felipe Silva, where he was on his way to losing a decision, and then he snatched up a knee bar. 
He averages around three takedowns per fight, but he does have a negative striking differential of almost one to two. So he is hit twice for every one strike that he lands. This fight is somewhat similar to Clay's last fight as far as styles are concerned. The difference here, though, is that Claudio Puelas is young, hungry, and dangerous. In Clay's ridiculously long 35-fight UFC career, he only has two wins against people who took him down. Two. So he has 35 fights in the UFC and only two times has somebody taken him down and he ended up winning that fight. Claudio Playlist does not have the best takedowns, but it doesn't matter because he attempts them, he comes forward and he shoots them. And I always say this, I've wrestled my whole life, so maybe you care, maybe you don't, but it is much easier to finish a bad takedown than it is to defend one. Defending a takedown is much harder than finishing a takedown. I see Claudio Playlist entertaining the striking but ultimately pushing a grappling game plan i think he will get some takedowns i don't think he's going to submit clay but i also don't think he's going to have too much trouble dealing with clay's movement and riding out a three-round decision so i like claudio playlist to ride out a decision win and he's going to do so with the grappling but listen if clay guida pulls this off then he's exactly the legend that we think he is and that we love him for so the pick is playlist but i will be rooting for clay guida and that takes us to the main event of the evening. We have Amanda Lemos taking on Jessica Andrade. A lot of you are going to complain about this main event, but I like the fight and you are just a bunch of haters. Stop complaining. This is a good fight. It's a good matchup and it has title implications. So don't complain that two women are in the main event. That's ridiculous and small-minded. Amanda Lemos is very big for the division. She's a Muay Thai striker with fast hands, a ton of power, and she does a very good job keeping her fights at Muay Thai range. She has six fights in the UFC, and she did lose her 100% takedown accuracy when she went 0 for 3 in takedown attempts against Angela Hill. She has power in her hands and is dangerous on the ground. And if it wasn't for her less than stellar performance in her last fight, she probably would be the favorite coming into this, or at least the odds would be a little closer. Jessica Andrade is a former world champion and a contender at multiple weight classes. She's beaten some of the best women on planet Earth, including Raquel Pennington, Claudia Gajaya, Tisha Torres, Rose Namajunas, and more. She has also lost to the best in the world, like Valentina Shevchenko, Joanna Jurczajczyk, and Wei Li. But she has only lost to the best in the world. Technique-wise, Jessica is a good striker with a ton of power. And her power isn't just in her hands. Look at how she just KO'd Rose Namajunas by dumping her on her head. She has very good ground and pound as well. Her BJJ is not the best. And her takedowns aren't technical. But she will pick you up, dump you out, and start pounding away. When Jessica can be the bully, she can beat anyone. But when she can't bully and she needs to rely on clean technique... That's when she has trouble, and that's why she loses to the absolute best in the world because they have clean technique and she can't just push them around. This is a great fight and definitely the right fight to make. Amanda Lemos has steadily climbed the ranks, and Jessica Andrade continues to destroy anyone who isn't the champion at the time. Right now, the odds have Andrade as almost a 2-1 to one favorite, and I think that's fair, right? She's a proven entity who continues to pass test after test. Amanda should have lost that fight against Angela Hill. She looked horrible. She should have lost it, and it just wasn't a good look. Angela Hill, to me, is a mid-level fighter. She has no real power. She's not really a threat anywhere, and she managed to take Lemos down. She reversed Lemos in a different exchange. She racked up more than four minutes of control time in a three-round fight, and she landed more total strikes. So Amanda Lemos was outgrappled, outstruck, and somehow won that decision. 
at 115 pounds, Jessica Andrade can be the bully. And I think that's exactly what she's going to do here. I think she's going to bully. She's going to push forward. She'll get the takedown. She'll stand in Lemos's face. And she will grind out what is probably a dominant decision win. So I like Jessica Andrade to bully Amanda Lemos here. Guys, let me know your picks in the comments below. Join our Discord. It is 100% free. We don't charge for any of our content. The Discord is free. Hop in there. Make your picks. Yuck it up in the chat rooms. I guess they're called channels, right? I'm a little old. They're channels, not chat rooms. And don't forget, wewantpicks.com slash bets. Sign up with any one of our five betting partners. Make a deposit. Let us know after you do and we send you 50 bucks. That's how we keep the lights on around here. And if you're enjoying the content, you're making some money off our picks, become a member. Click the join button below. It's a couple bucks a month. It's incredibly helpful. Thank you guys so much for everything. And I'll see you Tuesday night for our live breakdown.